Welcome to the most disorganized podcast you've ever listened to. I'm okay though, is what it's called. We regularly forget the name of our own podcast and are quite disorganized in general with the content. But I think it's quite a good metaphor for the state of mental health in the UK and across the world. So I'm not mad at it. Um, I am actually embracing it. Yeah, I am quite embarrassed about my own self when I say, what is our podcast called? <laughs> and what have we talked about? Yeah, what, have we, what episodes <laughs> have we done? But yeah, I think it's quite, I think it's quite telling of, of the state of things. So in that way, I feel like it's going to be quite refreshing for the listener. I agree. What that we're all in it together. We're all a mess all is a ultimately mess. what we're saying. Ultimately, the podcast you're listening to about mental health is a mess. It's a really good metaphor for life. And if we can be the benchmark, then only good things can happen yeah, from here. Yeah, it's only up from The only way is up. Exactly. I think we should introduce ourselves. Someone said we need to introduce ourselves because we always forget to we do that. We always forget to do it at the, at the top of the podcast. So on episode whatever this is. Seven. <laughs> seven. <laughs> we are we're getting a bit professional. So the podcast is called I'm Okay Though because that's the general response, isn't it? From like, oh, hey, how you doing? Uh, yeah, it's been a bit shit, but I'm okay though. Meaning... Many things. Many things. But nothing at all. Yeah. Easy. The easy out, I'd say, probably. Of, uh, I think sometimes it's okay to say it if, you, if it's just like on a bus or something, right? <laughs> yeah. Or, is it, or do you have to like get deep with everyone? <laughs> no, I think it's just more around not using it just as a pat answer when really we could have more meaningful conversations. Yes. Because we do say it a lot, I'm okay, but we might say. And I think we just need to be just a bit more conscious about it. Yeah. But we need to introduce ourselves. Yes. Uh, <laughs> my name is Owen Cutts. I'm a songwriter, producer, mental health uh, advocate, especially for men in this day and age, young men, uh, well, men of all ages, but young men especially. I do podcasts and I just faff about really for my, for most of my life and uh, I thoroughly enjoy it. And you are Jodie Karras. I am indeed. I know that part about myself, yeah. which is good. That's great. I'm a psychotherapist and I'm the founder of Self Space, which is a contemporary mental health service. And interestingly, we only have a quarter of our users are men. Is that so? Yeah. So it's, you know, it's bigger than it was, but it's still one of the hardest to reach groups of people for some reason. Wow. And I think there are many reasons for it, actually. And that's, so I think it's really important that you, you talk about being a man and mental health and what that, that means and being a voice around that because I think it's really needed. Do you know the, what the statistic is nationally? I don't actually, but I would imagine it's around that, if not less. If not less. Yeah. What sort of things are you doing? Do you, do you consciously think, how do we get more men in here? Or is there like a... We do, we try. And, and also the statistics on suicide are that it's um, it's predominantly men. So those things God, cannot be in isolation. Yeah. And we do, listen, we try to, in terms of our content and our comms and how we speak, we we try to be really super inclusive. We try to have more male practitioners, but there's also a shortage of clinicians that are men or identify as men. And so it is a challenge, actually. And I think, particularly in the UK, I think America is 
I think there's more equality there. But here... How far behind the States do you think we are? Because it, it feels like, it's a, correct me if I'm wrong, this might be just like a bullshit flash statement, but it feels like more people are in therapy in America. Or do they just talk about it? Or like, what's the stats? Is, is that true? No, yeah, it is. It's a much more every day over there. Like, if you don't have a therapist, what's wrong with you? Yeah. So I think, I'm not saying, I, I don't personally feel we need to replicate what they're doing. Yeah. Because some of what they're they're doing, I think, is is incredible. But I also think that in the UK, we can find our own way. I think we're quite unique in the way we operate as a country anyway. And I think the way that we tend to mental health will have its own life. But I do think that it's less shameful in the States to say, I have a therapist. In fact, I think it's kind of uh, celebrated much more. And I think that we need to get to a place of that here. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, so today we have got a theme, haven't we? We have. We're going to talk about relationships. Shock horror. Shock we horror. Have, we've thought about this. <laughs> uh, we are going to talk about relationships. Yeah. Relationships of all kinds. Because essentially, I mean, I guess I can kick it off with, like, I feel like my work and the music industry is all about relationships. I think it's all, I think it's built on relationships. Do you think that keeps it quite, Narrow, in a sense. Is it the old kind of... What, like nepotism? You know, the, the saying, it's who you know, right? And yeah. I think the music industry is... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're saying it's all about relationships, then that would correlate. Do I think it's the music industry is like that? I think that the music industry is is built on relationships for sure, and there is a lot of nepotism, and there is a lot of who you know. But also there is a lot of sort of fickle friendships, fickle relationships. So you could be doing the same thing for 10 years, right? The same style, the same quality, the same quantity, the same output for 10 years. And on your seventh year, you get a hit. And then for the remainder of the 10 years, you're still doing the same thing, but everyone thinks you're the fucking shit. And you might be getting paid more. You will be getting paid more, definitely. But it's like, wait, hold on. I've been doing this for seven years, this exact same thing, but only now you all think I'm amazing because it's been proven, or because, and then and then that will drop you into a, a circle of people that want to use you and want to um, work with you and want you to do their record, and then that becomes a sort of type of nepotism where it's like you get dropped into the pool of the people who are doing what's popular and then you get you sort of like and then you make those friends so does it feel like the majority of the relationships you build there are authentic i think you just have to have one eye on on it one eye that that it goes on and one eye that like if you do have success the people that kind of swarm around you after that are probably not like going to you know be your friends you know you're not going to go to the, have a Sunday roast with you and you know so do you keep your work life and your private life quite separate I do but there are some like the only crossovers there are are like when I'm doing real genuine work then they're the real genuine friendships so when you're being your most authentic because I was going to ask you in your experience, what constitutes a good relationship for you? Honesty, being yourself 
And I, I actually think what's really important is like having the relationship where being yourself isn't a issue. You're not having to pretend in order to please others. So you can be authentic. You can be authentic, yeah. What about conflict? Do you think that is useful in a relationship? Yeah, but I think conflict actually comes from being yourself. I think like those little clashes come when you're like being yourself and being honest and it might rub up against someone else's honest true self and then you have conflict and then you have resolution. Which is the part that creates the depth in a relationship, Which is right? the part that creates Yeah, and, and also when you're like interesting, like I can only speak from personal experience who has always shied away from conflict. I, d I was never really modeled resolution. That when you do have conflict and you do sort of like air your uh, disagreements, the resolution will, like you said, it will deepen the relationship. But it also, it kind of makes you feel really happy afterwards. I find when you resolve, in like when you resolve something with someone, you're like, oh, will you. Whether you fight or whether you like shout or whether you scream or whether you just discuss or whatever, at the end of it, you'd hope that there was, within the resolution was like, do you know what, I, I see what you were saying. And then you can be like, yeah, well, I see what you were saying. And there's this kind of like really nice moment afterwards of being like, wow, my, my honesty wasn't attacked forever. You know what I mean? It was, it was attacked for a bit and then was heard and understood. So something about how you create intimacy, right? How you create relationships which are strong so they are able to withstand lots of things. They're not brittle. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there is an encouragement or there's the availability of lots of brittle relationships in the world in terms of do we only show one aspect of ourselves? Are we afraid not to message back are we afraid of what it means to disappoint others and does that mean that we create a version of ourselves which is not fully truthful and of course there are many situations in life where that's fine and that that's useful mm -hmm. but I think the key to mental wellness is having some really good relationships which serve you well and are built to withstand challenges. Yeah. And so if you were to think about your kind of, your the relationships you have in your life, how many of them would you say are where you want them to be? And you don't have to kind of name them or number them, but kind of percentage-wise, mm -hmm. how many of those acquaintances, people, are good relationships? Are you actually asking me? <laughs> well, generally, you know, when you think of it, I guess I encourage everyone to have a think about it. So that's a really interesting thing to think about, isn't it? So I say if I'm honest, like, it's probably like 50-50. That's quite high. Which way? I mean, it's quite high because it's quite a lot of meaningful relationships, 50%. Right, yeah. I think over maybe the last, like, few years... I'm beginning to realize the importance of cultivating those relationships and keeping them going and not just kind of like relying on the fact that they'll always be there because I have a few friends who will always be there, but one of them I barely speak to. But it's kind of like, oh yeah, but it'll always be there, you know? 
But what's what's in the in between? What's kind of going on in between us talking? Do you mean for each other or within the relationship? How is it that you feel trusting of it? Is that what you mean? Or no, just just like like taking it uh, for granted that it's always going to be there, and what's that actually? What's that? What is that actually giving me? Mm. It's giving me the knowledge and the safety that that oh he'll always be there for me, but actually day to day we're not there for each other and we go months without speaking. So it's a bit of a fantasy. A perhaps. bit of a fantasy. A bit of a kind of like. You know, I love him dearly, but I don't really speak to him or see him. So what are we getting from it or what? like? How are you nourishing that relationship in a way? It reminds me a bit of, you know, like at the end of a party when everyone's pissed or, oh, and everyone's, oh, I love you and you're my best friend and I never tell you. And I'm sure that somewhere at the heart of it is a desperation to say, I'm lonely or I miss you or we're not really connected. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it's often the opposite. It's it's a kind of desperation to say, I wish we were. I wish we were closer. Yeah. And I, I think that that does live with a lot of people actually, which is why you can pretty much guarantee always being able to hear a version of that conversation. Definitely. Would you say that you're like what one has with a therapist is a relationship? Definitely. It's not a mutually supportive relationship because yeah. the client is not there to to offer support to the therapist. And it depends what modality you practice in. So there are some clinicians that there won't be humor in the room or there won't be an opportunity for the client to ask questions about the therapist or, you know, talk about things that, are meaningful to both of you. So yeah. it depends how you practice. I I tend to be more on the human side, which is that I do think it's important to have a laugh and I will challenge my clients and I will I will share things about myself if I think it's helpful to the work. Yeah. But I I so I think it is a relationship and I think it is one of the most useful relationships for the client actually. I find it quite a a funny one that I can't ask them a question, but do you, no, can't no, you, or is no, no, it that no, you not just necessarily don't? question? I do, I do, I like because I get lost in the kind of like chat of it all, and I'm like, yeah, you know what I mean, and then I'm like, wow, actually, I don't know if he knows what I mean because. <laughs> and you do know, you ever ask? Yeah, 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 I do, and I and, and and occasionally like I feel like I've I don't know broken some fourth wall sort of vibe where I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to pry or I didn't mean to like because I said once about I think I was talking about my kids and I was like I was like yeah you know my kids and then I was like have you got kids and he was like yeah and I think we both had this moment of like I think he said yeah too quickly and I was like oh yeah sorry this is uh, you know whatever you don't have to tell me if you it was this moment of like I don't know. It did kind of like break me out of it, but it also like reminded me where I was. Maybe this says something about me, but like the fact that I can't be like, oh, anyway, yeah, I'm just rambling on. What, what's been going on with you? You know, if, the fact that I can't do that doesn't sit massively comfortably with me. Which probably is really helpful to the work. Yeah. Because we hide behind others when we can't talk about ourselves. 
So you can notice, and I notice it quite a lot actually, where people will derail the conversation. You'll be asking them about them. This isn't in therapy, but just generally. Yeah. And then they'll say, but what about you then? But we haven't even finished on properly talking about that. Yeah. So I think it can act as a defense mechanism. And I think if that's not involved, it's real. I have, you know, lots of clients will often start sessions with me by saying, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's actually my question for you. I do that. Hey, Ryan, how are you doing? Is it- <laughs> you can't really tell me, but I'm going <laughs> to yeah, ask yeah. it anyway. Yeah, exactly. It is a an unusual space. It is. Uh, but it isn't hugely different from the early parent relationship where the child doesn't really see the parent as somebody who has their own feelings or thoughts or ideas. They're just there as a kind of support system. I used to get that with teachers. Where I'd be like, if you saw a teacher like outside of school, like in Tesco or something. Smoking. Smoking or at a pub, you'd be like, like, what the fuck? They've got their own lives and they've got their own shit going on. And actually, they probably don't care as much. And it is, you know, it's it's very much that if you ever see clients out of the therapy room. Oh, is that weird? It can feel a bit... I, I am it's it's weirder <laughs> it's for weird. the for the client I think because yeah. I know when I see my therapist which I haven't this one but the previous ones I have yeah I was really interested in who were they with and where the where were they going and I what's she wearing <laughs> you were thinking that I was thinking that about my therapist when I saw her oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like you just seen the teacher like you just seen yeah and I so I I have experienced it as a client as a and as a practitioner that's so funny you know I do think it's interesting you ask about the therapeutic relationship and we're thinking about you know what what constitutes a good enough relationship for you what is healthy which relationships drain you which ones fill you up and what do you do when one is draining you you know like what what are the options yeah and when is it time to let some relationships go which I think we do in the duration of our lives. I think some relationships, both romantic and friendships, suddenly come to a junction where there isn't any more growth to be had. And how can we leave with grace, if you like, rather than it needing to be friction-filled? And sometimes it will be. Yeah. But I think it's very healthy that relationships do end in whatever context. Yeah. Or they evolve and grow with you. Has anyone called you mum in the therapy room? No. No, they haven't actually. But it is, it does, because you can often call a teacher mum. You teach your mum, yeah, I've done and, it. And also say I love you if you're speaking <laughs> on the phone when that, you don't know what you're meant to be saying, but it wasn't I love you. Yeah. And I think it's a force of habit. We do talk about. Uh, roles so it might you know in the therapy room you might say I wonder if I'm reminding you of your mum now or what's happening or what role am I filling so that and what role are you filling who are you in that relationship what relationship are you Uh, mimicking copying or um, and I think that can be really helpful to think about what roles you play with people yeah definitely but have you have you called anyone mum then? Yeah, to call my teacher. I think I've called my teacher mum. <laughs> That's quite common. I remember. Yeah, that is quite common. But it's so embarrassing when it happens, you know, because everyone's like, hey, you called your teacher mum. <laughs> but I remember, I don't know why I'm telling this story, but my friend was at school and there was this uh, 
quite attractive English teacher and he was high and uh, she was telling him off and he basically just like, he obviously clearly wasn't listening to what she was saying and he just looked at her and he said, I love you. (laughs) It's like, I love you. Oh my goodness. What happened? What? How did she handle that? I think she sent him to the head of year or something. Like, I don't think she knew he was high, but <laughs> but he he sort of did mean it. Yeah, he was he loved her, and in that moment, he did love her. It was like he was just staring at her and got lost in her, and just like to- totally loved her. <laughs> and you know, I don't think that might be a particular experience, but I do think that we can become confused in relationships. Yeah, in terms of. Um, but it must happen in ther- therapy quite a lot, no? Yeah, it must have like feelings must get confused and dependency. Yeah, I think must it must be a real thing. It's something that the you know practitioners are incredibly mindful of. Yeah, and there is a lot of projection and projective identification, which means that the client might project onto you feelings, and it's the clinician's job to notice when that's happening. And it's not unusual for clients to think they're in love with their therapist. Yeah, I can imagine that happens a lot. Yeah, it's very common. And it's often, in the most part, not real. As in, it's more that they've created a space and an experience which feels like the type of relationship they really want in the outside world. Yeah. And that can become confusing. Someone who's finally... Listening, listening and seeing them and validating their feelings and caring about them. Yeah. God, that must be hard. What do you have to do to stop? Sometimes you can bring it into the work. So it really depends on the case. So you might be able to feed it back. You might be able to get it to live in the room to say, you know, I'm wondering what is it that you're feeling about me? Right. And how could we understand that a bit together so that you talk it through? Which is, it isn't like down the pub when someone goes, well, I fancy you. And it's it's not that. It's so much more fundamental than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. And sometimes it can't be worked with, you know. Sometimes cases will not be able to continue or the work can't be safe. And I guess, like, if we're talking about relationships, like this last few years of sort of the pandemic, and did you find that you... that the relationships you liked and the relationships that you, like, say, like I said, the 50-50, like, did you find whatever percentage you had, did you find the ones that you you wanted to cultivate them more because you didn't see them? Did you find that some dropped off during the pandemic when we weren't allowed to see anyone? Yeah, for sure. Well, actually, I'm quite selective. There aren't very meaning, many meaningful relationships that I hold. There are some, yeah. and those are incredibly significant. But I tend not to make space for for many. Actually, I'm, and the ones I do have, I work really hard on, and not in a way that's kind of overtly like working hard. But I, sure. I pay attention put, to them. Put time in. Yeah, I put time in, and I notice that in in the past, I've there have been loads of people lots of relationships that I've had and actually it's much more peaceful for me to have fewer right and to to make sure that those are nutritious and yeah, yeah. healthy what advice would you have for anyone who is sort of I don't know looking to, looking to get a bit more streamlined like you or, or like cut down because I know that can be a difficult 
thing, can't it? That if you realise like a friend isn't isn't really good for you or anything, just it's it can be quite hard to untangle yourself from that. So what what would you recommend? Or when you get a message and you dread it, or you see a date in your diary and you feel really overwhelmed by the idea of seeing that person. I think yeah. I think you need to have some time to really think about what's your responsibility to the relationships you have. How are they making you feel? And how are you making others feel? Mm, that's interesting. What's your responsibility? What did you say? What's your responsibility to the relationships you have? What, is that? what, what, what does that so mean? So how... How can you be purposeful in the relationships you're in? So, for example, if you know that relationship is not serving you, it's not working out, it's difficult, you feel jealous, uncomfortable, upset, rather than colluding with the idea that it's fine, how can you take responsibility for that? Which is, you know, what's my part in this and what can I do about it? Rather than... Not taking an active stance, if you like. Yeah. Which isn't really helping. It's just consuming energy that's not really useful. Yeah. Not not fueling you. I think some, some people are kind of scared of that, aren't they? To take that step, to take mm. that, to do that distance. Or to say, this is how the relationship's making me feel. Yeah. I feel this way and I'm not sure that I'm able to offer you what you need at the moment. Yeah. And I think they feel sort of, sort of worried about the other person's reaction and then the ramifications and consequences of that reaction, you know, like if you're going to tell someone something that you know is going to make them cry, but you can't be bothered to deal with the crying, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, you're then looking, you hold it in you hold it and, you and don't then nothing gets, and nothing gets sorted out. Yeah. Also, we're all, we're all afraid of, of grieving the loss. Right. So in order to make change, there's a possibility that you'll lose the quality of the relationship that might not be good enough anyway, but it's change. Can we talk about that actually? Can we talk about grief in relationships? Yeah. Because that's off that's something that's come up quite a bit in um recently, just like talking to, to people and you know, my therapist and, and so on, is the fact that losing I don't want to say losing. What's another word for changing the evolution of relationships? Well, not like losing a friend, but what I guess losing. Yeah, well, perhaps when you show up more authentically, which might be to say, I'm not feeling great in this relationship. This is what's happening for me. You fear the fallout of that, upsetting someone, losing the, losing someone, as in the friendship changes shape. They don't need you anymore. Mm. All of these roles that aren't particularly useful or healthy, but have been serving you. We kind of let go of that. And that feels like loss and we can grieve that. And that's, you can feel grief. 100%. Yeah. But what's the sort of like, because it's like you're grieving them, but they're still there. Well, maybe you're grieving the memory of what you had, the kind of evolution, the the past versions of yourself, the, you know, whenever we change something. So if we go to a new job, even if we really hated the old one, there is a momentary grief in the change or the shift. Yeah, yeah. We leave it behind, you know, and we're human beings and change can be really uncomfortable. And 
with change comes grief, even if the change is for the better. And how do we deal with that grief? What's the sort of what's well? It's the not. Advice? It's not easy, is it? And you talk to many people who are particularly in romantic relationships, divorcing, separating, changing relationships, they can fully know that that was the best decision for them, but still feel utterly helpless, upset, distressed, missing the person. It's not as simple. We're not black and white creatures. We can know what's best for us and step forward into it. That doesn't mean we aren't going to have any difficult feelings. Yeah. Dealing with grief is, is um, I think, an everyday practice, really. How am I feeling? What do I need? Where am I at? Am I um, disassociating from my feelings? Netflix, drinking, texting, sex, whatever it is. Yeah. Or am I fully in my feeling and can I feel it and know that it's not going to be good all the time? Right. And can I give some space to reflecting on and allowing myself to feel a bit shit. I mean, I totally agree with that. For people who find that difficult, is there like a kind of time limit or is there something you can set yourself where you can be like, I'm just going to feel this for like 10 minutes or is that a, something that's recommended or is it like, or is it like just, just try and feel it? Well... <laughs> <laughs> in that really cross voice yeah. just feel it <laughs> just feel your feelings man <laughs> I don't think listen we're a culture that really wants quick fixes and I don't think there's any quick fixes for our feelings I think they just are Yeah. I think it's important to know that you are not your feelings they are transient they will change you'll feel one way one minute and one way 30 seconds later Yeah. and disallowing your feelings doesn't help but I do think engaging in behaviours which you know facilitate you dwelling or so for example using Instagram as a way of or or any social media platform if you like as a way of hurting yourself right so sort of dwelling on old pictures or looking at other people's lives which is something we all do in a way that is causing you pain mm. Try to notice when you engage in those behaviours and stop. I think taking charge over those types of things in your life are really helpful. Yeah. I know I feel upset. Is this thing I'm doing, is that actually helping me? Is it soothing me? Or is it actually causing me more distress? Yes. You know, I, I, I had a, a friend who who she slept with her boyfriend, but she would go every Friday night to the club that she thought he would go to. And it was the most painful experience ever to the point that I was like, I'm not coming anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what, why we're, I know why we're here, but this isn't helping. This isn't helpful for you. She said, I said, is it helpful for you? And she said, no, not at all. It's awful. If we take her, for example, like what, what's driving her to do that? Cause we, like we all know that's a bad idea. But can you relate? Is it something you might do? I guess so. Yeah. But I guess like why, what is that? Well, we like to sort of scratch scabs, don't we? A bit. We like to, we almost like to test out our resilience. I mean, perhaps in that there's a hope there that she might see him or 
maybe she'll see what he's doing or what his life is looking like and somehow she imagines that's going to bring her some peace when actually we know it's going to be more distressing. Yeah. It's the same as looking at old pictures, old Instagram pictures. It's the same as it's the same as picking a scab, which yeah. doesn't actually help anything heal quicker. Yeah, yeah. It just gives you a moment of satisfaction and then it's all got it's got a scab over again. Yeah, yeah. And might leave a scar. <laughs> What a metaphor. What a metaphor. (laughs) Yeah. But I, it's also important not to be too harsh on ourselves. We're not going to get it right all the time. And we're going to do things that are not good for us sometimes and that actually make situations worse. And I guess not to be too hard on yourself. Not too hard, but to try to identify the things that do help you to feel a bit better, you know, and, and, and those might be, I know you swim, don't you? Yeah. So it might be that you're feeling a bit, you're griefy about something and you know there's some way that you can help yourself. Uh, sometimes I find it really hard to get in the pool. Because it's cold or... At that first initial is not nice. It's not cosy, is it? No, and swimming is also exhausting. It's and like, makes you, you like, so hungry, isn't yeah, it? Do you, you get do loads like, of snacks after? Yeah, well, I always... I, I swim before I have breakfast, so... Right, and then you then go, go for breakfast. Eat, but... I just think sometimes it's like you can swim and you feel like you're really putting in a shift and you look up and it's been like four minutes. <laughs> or you've like, done half a length. Yeah, you're like, flipping out. But, and so those things will put you off, will put me off going in the water again. But ultimately, you always feel better afterwards. Maybe that's a really nice kind of metaphor, which is that sometimes life is, relationships are, things that have to be said in relationships Actions that need to be taken are momentarily uncomfortable. Yeah. It's a bit cold. You don't really want to do it. But you always feel better somehow Go afterwards. straight to the sauna. <laughs> just walk past the pool. But the gain is probably better and more long term. I guess in the same way as like you know what's bad for you is like you know what's good for you as well. I think we always do. Sometimes we can't see it. But, but mostly I'll notice with clients that they'll tell me the answer to the problem that they've come with. They already know. Right. But they can't quite hear themselves. Yeah, and that's what you're there to do. It's just Reflect it back a bit. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is this. That is an interesting one. When, when my, I'll say something often quite fast and quite rambled. <laughs> but my therapist will very slowly repeat it back to me. And then can you hear it? And you're like, I just said that. Yeah. He also does this thing where he just sits and just doesn't say anything and I'm like you're doing a thing where you do, do you say no I don't but in my head I'm like you're you're therapizing me <laughs> therapizing <laughs> I know you're therapizing me <laughs> I can't sit in silence so I have to I have to speak so I'm like Damn silence you. is is a yeah it can be really uncomfortable yeah. really powerful too yeah definitely it's never happened where he's spoken first but sometimes I wonder <laughs> if he will I say to my therapist, what are you thinking? Yeah. So when he goes silent. Yeah, I, yeah. And I might say, what are you thinking then? Yeah. <laughs> Which is a way for me not thinking for myself. Yeah. Ultimately, I know that. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. it is, sometimes he'll say, and sometimes he'll say, what are you thinking? <laughs> I, I say, what, what do you reckon I should do? <laughs> What's the answer? <laughs> it's like an advice line. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that is the magic of a good therapist actually is that they don't give you the answer that's not their job yeah they facilitate 
They facilitate you finding it yourself. And I think perhaps that is within a good friendship, a good relationship. Is not somebody who's there to fix it for us, but somebody that can be there with us as we fix it ourselves. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a while, doesn't it? Sometimes it takes a few goes, a few sessions. And what do, you, what do you say to like people who come out of therapy and they're like disappointed? I'm not talking like first time, second time, third. I'm talking about people who are in therapy for quite a while and they come out and they're like, a bit miffed. They're a bit like, oh, I didn't really get what I wanted from therapy today. There are lots of reasons and I, that happens often, I think. Sometimes I'd be saying, does that feel familiar to you? So often when someone says, oh, I'm really disappointed and I feel a bit cross about that. Maybe if, if you notice, you might feel that way about quite a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> is this unusual for you? And if it is, then was it the right therapist? Did you take responsibility in the relationship to ask what, what you needed to feedback what you're, you know, what you're feeling? Yeah. Were you really authentic? Did you show up enough for yourself? What responsibility can you take? Yeah, it's the yeah. same with any relationship, right? Which is, I, you know, they're behaving that way and that was really disappointing. It's not very helpful. What's helpful is to go okay, how am I being? What did I do? What was my responsibility to that? That's how I think about it anyway. I think that's quite a nice little poignant ending point, really. Don't think what they're doing. Think about you. And also, at the end of relationships, it's so important to, to really notice what could I have done differently? Yes. How, how was I received? Yeah, yeah. Not in a way to punish yourself, but in a way to learn less about how they made you feel in your mind. Reflect. Reflecting. Say sorry when you need to for no other purpose than being sorry. Lovely. All sorts of relationships and ins and outs and things going on, isn't there? And there's no one shoe fits all. That's the truth of it. Funny old humans, aren't we? What have we done? <laughs> we are. What the hell are we doing? Complicated beasts. Complicated things, aren't we? Yeah, we really are. Got that brain whirring. Well, I hope you enjoyed that and I hope you, you got something from it. I think relationships are the key to everything and especially over the last few years that, that we've had. Hopefully you can cultivate the ones that you... Um, that you enjoy and you get a lot from and maybe you can uh, start to maybe cut some strings from the ones that aren't really serving you or, or doing the best for you join us next week for another complete shambles of recording but ultimately some golden nuggets in, in everything I feel like in everything we we say so if you're down we're down and thank you very much for listening <laughs>